I'm Sam Stark. I serve as Vice President of Communications and External Relations here at Rollins College. Rollins Around Town is a showcase of outstanding people who make dynamic and important contributions to the Rollins campus and throughout Central Florida. In either case, these are difference makers who help uplift the mission and brand of Rollins and who help make our region a special place to live, learn, and work. Today, I am delighted to welcome Dr. Sarah Parslow, Assistant Professor of Communications here at Rollins, and Elizabeth Smith, Class of 2022, as an undergrad and Class of 2024 for her Master's in Public Health. These are two amazing leaders who are collaborating and created Rollins' first Disability Empowerment Week, taking place this week here on campus. So Sarah and Elizabeth, welcome to Rollins Around Town, and thank you for being here today. Thanks for having us. So before we get into Disability Empowerment Week, which I I want to and talk a lot about, let's learn a little bit more about each of you. And Dr. Parso, we'll start with you. You earned a bachelor's degree from Marist College in PR and Communication Studies. You received your master's in communications from San Diego State and your PhD from Ohio University in Communications. What brought you to Rollins College? Well, you did mention that I got my undergraduate degree at Marist, which was very similar as far as a liberal arts, small college, close community, thinking about interdisciplinary ways of knowing. And so that's always been at my heart, the way that I like to think and the way that I like to teach. And so when this job opening came, I was like, oh, yes, this is this is so familiar. I get to teach really interesting classes. I get to have close relationships with students. And I was also really interested in thinking about the fact that you have this Center for Leadership and Community Engagement. Right. And so there was this opportunity where I could be a professor in the classroom, but also thinking about how I could connect my classes to organizations and happenings around town. And so I've, I've really enjoyed being able to build classes and also opportunities like this one with Disability Empowerment Week where I get to connect students to organizations and to topics beyond just the the classroom bubble. So that's a big thing. But of course, I also fell in love with palm trees when I was living (laughs) in San Diego. So that has helped for sure. And my husband is an aerospace engineer. So this was definitely a place that worked for both of us. Very cool. Well, not many people know or care. I'm from Albuquerque, New Mexico, where the University of New Mexico is. And so being a little sports fan all my life, New Mexico and San Diego State are always in the same little <laughs> athletic conference. So I've always hated San Diego State. So this is great. <laughs> uh, well, welcome. Thanks for being here. And I love your, your story and your journey. And we'll talk more about that. Elizabeth, tell us your story. Where did you grow up and, and go to high school? And how did you get to Rollins? Yes, so um, I actually grew up in Orlando, and um, I born and raised, and I, uh, for high school, uh, actually my whole time as um, in school, I was homeschooled, actually. And so uh, throughout my whole education, I utilized a service called Calvert Education, um, and up through middle school, they would send uh, a big pile of books <laughs> to my house, and uh, we had learning manuals, and my mom would read the learning manuals to me, and we would work together every day to to get that worked on. And it really um, made me have to make sure I have a schedule set and made me very dedicated to my work at a very young age. And um, in high school, it transitioned to all virtual schooling, and so I had to um, learn how that worked as well. And yeah. so 
that was my high school experience yeah. with school. And what about your college search process? Did you, was Rollins it? Did you know it just because it's local or did you have, you know, other in- interests and kind of how did you end up choosing Rollins? Yes. Yeah, so for college, um, in high school, which we'll talk about in a little bit, um, I had a lot that happened and I wasn't really sure what my future was going to look like. And when I was thinking about colleges, it wasn't until my brother, who's two years older than me, was looking um, for colleges. And so when he was applying, um, he was looking at all the different schools and um, he chose Stetson is where he went to school. And so when I was looking um, into that, then I was like, oh, now it's time for me to look into what what is it that I want to do? And so I was looking around and I was picking some different schools that I was applying to. But um, I was also working with the violin teacher here at Rollins. Um, but I was working um, with her actually at her house and I was taking lessons with her um, during my senior year. And um, it was with her that she's like, you know, we'd really, really like to have you at Rollins. And so I um, applied and I was waiting for that application to be accepted. And I came for my audition. And when I came for my audition, I um, also sat in for some classes. Yeah. And so I sat in with um, Dr. Daniel Crozier, which is he's related to Mr. Rogers. Indeed. and He's the <laughs> nicest person <laughs> and the best professor that I've had here, actually, um, especially in the music department. He had the greatest ways to help you remember uh, really challenging things for music theory because it can get very complicated. And um, so I went to his class, uh, two of his music theory classes, and um, I sat in in choir as well that day. And um, and then I had my audition. And uh, Dr. Crozier was in my audition as well. And um, when I came back, I, I wasn't sure because of um, uh, with funding if I would be able to come to Rollins. And um, I did get accepted into um, the uh, the CLA program, which is the main program at the school. Right. But I was still concerned with, because um, as I said, in high school, I did not have, um, I had a lot going on. I didn't have a lot of prep work into SATs. And so I didn't have the highest score that there was, but it was still um, within a good range. And so I was concerned about my funding. And so um, I actually met with, the head of the music department, and um, I met with him, and I had a conversation with him, and I was talking about all the different things that I'm interested in, and um, he said, well, you know, we also have the Holt School, and in music, a lot of your classes will look the same, and there's also some other majors as well, and you're still able to participate in everything that you need to, and um, you know, we would really love to have you. Your scores on your audition were really, really awesome. And he said, we would love to have you if you'd like to come. And so I didn't have to audition anywhere else. And that's, that's how great. I got here. I love it. Well, you, you, you definitely uh, found a great program with uh, with music and I, and I know others as well. So cool story and a great, you know, sort of uh, showcase of why Holt is such an important program for, for Rollins and for Central Florida. Uh, Sarah, student-faculty collaboration is is nothing new here. I mean, I think, you know, it's a real different differentiator, you know, from what I gather and even experience when I was a student. Um, can you share other student collaborations that you've been involved with and sort of why it's so important for, for faculty uh, here at Rollins? Yeah, I think this program is 
also one of the things that is so exciting as a faculty member because it allows me to, first of all, teach my students about research methods, but then see what things they're really excited about, what makes them tick, what are some of the things they're passionate about that they want to look more into. And the Student Faculty Collaborative Scholarship Program is when a student comes to you and pitches an idea for research and says, hey, this is, this is the topic I'm interested in. Do we have something in common? Are there, are there overlaps between what you study and what I'm passionate about? And then we create a project around it. So it is really driven by the student. And I'm there mentoring the student throughout the process. And Elizabeth will tell you, we are, we are a team. We're, we are full-on collaborators. And so I've had a few experiences that I've really enjoyed um, the first one was with my student, Roshana Campbell, and she was really interested in intergenerational trauma, especially amongst indigenous populations. And she didn't know quite how to study it or what exactly to look at, but this was a, a thing that kept coming back to her because of some study abroad experiences she had. Yeah. Um, and so she came to me and I said, okay, well, let's look at a hashtag movement that is taking off right now called um, MM, hashtag MMIW, which is Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women. Oh my. So there's an epidemic of indigenous women who are going missing or being murdered at alarming rates all across North America. And for a long time, it had been kind of a silent epidemic. We didn't hear the stories of these women. But more recently, there's been a lot of legislation, and especially with the, our current um, Secretary of the Interior, Deb Haaland is an indigenous woman. So we've been hearing more and more about these stories. So what we did was we tracked the hashtag movement to see how these women and other participants in the hashtag movement were talking about indigenous trauma. How are they defining it? What was intergenerational trauma? How are they framing their tweets in ways that would get folks who are following the hashtag to engage in act activism and advocacy? And so that was a really cool project. We ended up being able to publish that piece in an academic journal. And then we submitted to the International Communication Associations Conference, which was in the Gold Coast, Australia. Wow. So Rollins gave us funding <laughs> to go to Australia. Fantastic. And then the pandemic hit. Wow. So <laughs> it didn't quite work out as we had hoped. Right. But it was still a really great experience for um, Shauna. And I really enjoyed working with her. And then Elizabeth and I started our collaboration looking at, well, for Elizabeth, it was, okay, what is it like to be a student with a disability during the pandemic when things have shifted to virtual? Yeah. And how is your experience potentially really different, at, specifically when you're experiencing potential ableism or inclusion in the classroom? Because we realized if you have a visible disability, in some ways, you have a bit more control when you're online. Right. So, for instance, Elizabeth might, people might not know that she's in a wheelchair unless she discloses that or shows her wheelchair when she has the video on. Right. And so we started to think about all of these ways in which virtual learning both created opportunities, but also new barriers for students with disabilities. Yeah. So we ended up interviewing a whole bunch of students about their time both before and during the pandemic and what that experience was like. And that's really one of the things that inspired this um, Disability Empowerment Week. Yeah, impressive. Elizabeth, can you share a little bit about your health situation? Um, so for me, um, 
I actually was a, um, a dancer uh, when I was young. I started dancing actually when I was two and a half because my sister, she's five years older and, and she was dancing ever since I was born. Yeah. So I saw her dancing. And so I was actually a dancer up until I was about 11 years old. I also did aerial arts. And so I did like the silks, I would climb and all of that. And I, I was really, really strong actually. And, um, and I was also involved in, um, I always liked creative writing and um, painting and, and, and music. I started uh, playing the violin when I was 11 as well. And so uh, it was when I was 13 that um, I experienced a very traumatic event um, that that is kind of what started this alternate, like a new life. It just felt very, very different. And I had to really grow up in that period of my time um, at 13. And it was about um, when I was 14 that, because um, I actually was running as well. I started trying to run for um, my, um, I did the, over the summer I did this course for, um, for in Florida you have to take a course for like your uh, exercise and things like that. And right. so I was actually running and it was um, one day when I was running, I was feeling like chest pain. I thought that was like, you know, it was kind of weird and it was persistent. And it was just like this spiral down where it started with chest pain. And then I felt this weird palpitation that was happening in my chest. And I had all these symptoms that were like affecting like every system in my body. It was extremely overwhelming and I was nauseous and it was just, it was so odd. And it was actually at the time um, in high school, I was uh, very involved in my church. And so it was actually every Friday night uh, from 10 to 11 p.m., my mom and I would sit in um, this chapel and, and just sit there for an hour in silence, and I would draw or this or that. And it was in that hour that after that is when we said, okay, we need to go to the emergency room. Wow. And so we went, and they actually just sent me home because they're like, chest pain, there's there's no way you're going to have a heart attack. You need to go home. And um, I the next day I went back to the emergency room. They kind of said the same thing. And it was um, a couple days later when I actually had my physical scheduled. And when I went, she said, you're too sick to have a physical. Oh and um, she's like, uh, we're going to have to figure something out. And she said, if, if she gave us her, actually, my pediatrician has been extremely supportive. I still talk to her this day. And um, that day she said, I'm going to give you my phone number. And you need to let me know if, if something changes. And the symptoms continue to just get very overwhelming. And um, she said, okay, we're gonna um, get you a hospital room. And she called and, and I went and I was there for about five days. And um, they did all sorts of tests um, from all different specialties. Mm -hmm. And um, they actually were extremely focused on the trauma that I went through, that they were kind of ignoring what happened, like the symptoms I was having. They were like, oh, it's because this happened to you, you know? And um, it was a very bad experience actually at the hospital. But um, there was actually a doctor who, this is actually, the, the condition I have is called dysautonomia. Uh, and the acronym is POTS, which mm -hmm. is Postural Orthostatic Tachycardia Syndrome. And um, the doctor that he's like, oh, I was looking up all your symptoms and he's actually was a, a gastro uh, doctor and they did um, a scope on me. And it was him, he's like, you know, I wanna try something out. And so, I forget if it was before the scope or after the scope. I think it was before. 
He's like, all right, I want someone to, to take your blood pressure and your heart rate, lying down, sitting, and standing. I want to see what happens. And he's like, yep, I think this is what you have. And that was actually my second day. And that's very abnormal for someone that has POTS. It usually takes them extremely long to get diagnosed. Right. And so I knew and I, I couldn't believe it when I was looking up. Um, and towards the end of that week, a cardiologist came in my room. He didn't really believe it, but he said, you know, this is something you're going to have for quite a while and you need to go home. And so it was just this overwhelming change in my in my life. Yeah. And I went to the Mayo Clinic a few months later because I I wanted to be able to do something um, more than yeah. the, this overwhelming change in my life. Incredible. Uh, amazing, unfortunate journey, but glad it's diagnosed and, you know, just as an observer and, and actually a classmate of yours in the, in one of your MPH classes, it, nothing seems to slow you down. So uh, <laughs> I, I sure admire and respect um, all, the, all the, that you are doing. Um, so can we talk a little bit about dis, dis, uh, Disability Empowerment Week? Uh, Sarah sort of mentioned, you know, what the project is. Um, was it your idea to, to kind of create this for Rollins Awareness or can a kind of a collaborative uh, effort between the two of you? Yeah, so in the fall of 2020, uh, I was meeting with Dr. Parslow on WebEx and we were talking and um, I was sharing with her some of my experiences at Rollins um, with different barriers that I was facing and um, some of the, the things that I would like to see change. And, and I mentioned how I was at the time the accessibility senator for the Student Government Association. And um, we were talking about some different things that we could do on campus. And she um, briefly brought up, brought up the idea of a disability pride week and said that there's some other colleges that do this. Mm. And um, I kind of sat with that idea and um, I was brainstorming some different um, themes and things that could happen throughout a week like that. And um, then, funnily enough, um, in December of 2020, there was a application for a small grant, um, the, um, the Diversity Infusion Grant. And um, that was kind of our motivation was, okay, now let's see what, what this could look like. Yeah. And so then um, I... <laughs> made up this like big long list of themes and things and big ideas that I had and I shared them with Dr. Parcel as well as some other um, professors that were interested. And um, we uh, were thinking through uh, how this could look in practice. And so then we made that application, we submitted that application and we received that grant um, in the spring. And then that was kind of where we said, okay, this is what, what we're gonna do. Yeah. Um, let's put it into action. Fantastic. Yeah, and one of the things that we <laughs> recognized early on is that we are two people who are very busy and trying to pull off a week's worth of events would be a challenge. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that I thought about as a professor is how can I attach classes to this? Like, What would this look like to get other students involved? Yeah. So we have at Rollins, uh, it's called the RCC which is a class designed for first-year students coming in, trying to figure out what college life is like. Right. And it's a class that has a, a theme, but also some of these uh, core skills of what it's like to be a, a, a student. So I designed a class called Disability and Social Change so that the class was about teaching these first-year students 
what is ableism, what does it look like at different levels in society, how does prejudice against folks with disabilities, for instance, uh, play out in interpersonal relationships, mm -hmm. in organizational policies, in governmental policies, in the media and the way that we depict disability or who gets to play a character with a disability. So I designed mm -hmm. a whole class around this so that their project was taking one of the days that Elizabeth and I had brainstormed, one of those themes for Disability Empowerment Week, and pitching some ideas for what this could look like. And I also had a really awesome partner in Dr. Ann Stone, who taught another section of this same course yeah. so that we could brainstorm together and have a whole bunch of students kind of coming up with ideas, but also just getting excited or getting interested in disability issues and imagining what it would be like to be a disability advocate or ally just as they're getting into a new community, uh, just right. as they're learning what their place is like here at Rollins. So that was that gave That's, Elizabeth and I some like structure yeah. to start brainstorming and and uh, essentially like build a team and that we could work with. It's so Rollins, like this is so Rollins, right? Like mm -hmm. the student yeah. and faculty collaborations, student activities, and oh by the way, integrated actually into a class. Like that's to me where like the, the, the heart of so much of the learning takes place and it's just so impressive. Sarah, you know, Disability Empowerment Week doesn't seem, um, I would think to most people, including myself, to have a direct and obvious link to communication studies. Mm. So um, did you, you know, what, what's the link? What's the connectivity mm. for you as, as a professor? So for me, my area of expertise is health communication but I also integrate disability studies, which is its own subfield. Okay. Um, I'm already, I'm a liberal arts <laughs> professor at the core. Hmm. And one of the things that I'm really interested in is how people reclaim identities that are stigmatized, identities that are complicated by things like uncertainty, social rejection, um, prejudice. And so a lot of my work has looked at things like the neurodiversity movement, which is uh, a movement that starts to rebrand cognitive differences, so say the autism spectrum, as not being abnormal versus normal, but as simply being neurodiverse versus neurotypical. Mm -hmm. So a lot of my research is about how these communities start to reclaim differences and value those differences. Right. Other parts of my research look at how, what is the nature of advocacy as a communicative accomplishment? What does that look like? How is advocacy similar to or different from activism? And I'm often looking at this in disability spaces. Right. Another way it connects to communication really specifically is thinking about the media and representations of disability. Mm -hmm. So what are some of the stereotypes of disability that we see playing out over and over and over again in the plots of movies and television shows that we watch? There's a term that I teach my students that sounds really risque. It's called inspiration porn. It's a concept, if you watch, there's a TED Talk by Stella Young who coins this term. And it's this idea that oftentimes images of folks with disabilities are used by non-disabled people for inspiration. They say, well, their life is so hard. Thank goodness I'm not like that. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. I should, uh, you know, be value my life in comparison to these poor folks over here with a disability. Or they might say something like, oh, my goodness, I'm so proud of you, Elizabeth, for just waking up in the morning. <laughs> That's so inspiring, which essentially says to Elizabeth, like, I don't expect very much from you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but we see these kinds of inspiration porn stories coming up over and over and mm-hmm. over again in news stories. Like if you ever see a story about a promposal, so a classmate invites a student with a disability to prom. Right. And people are like, oh, that's so nice. They are so thoughtful. They included this student with disabilities. Instead of being like, that student with a disability is probably really awesome. <laughs> right, <laughs> like, right. They probably just want to go with them because they're cool. Right. Um, and so we see some of these um, media tropes playing out in the way we talk about disability in the news and the way we see plots in movies. Yeah. Uh, a big one is if you've ever seen Me Before You. It was a controversial movie at the time where the plot revolves mm-hmm. around a person who experiences paraplegia and then decides he wants to um, go to Switzerland so that he can die. And so this was a big controversy around, uh, well, hashtag movement came out around like me before ableism okay. <laughs> or yeah. um, this idea that another hashtag was better off dead than disabled, <laughs> which was like this idea of like, okay, why do we have a movie saying essentially that having a disability, you might as well not be alive. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so Terrible. as a calm person, I'm looking at these media representations and then I'm contrasting them with other representations. If you watch the SAG awards, they just got, um, there was a big award that was given to the movie Coda, which is a brand new movie coming out. Right now it's on Apple TV. I still haven't gotten to see it. <laughs> but it is about a deaf family who is raising a, a child who is not deaf. And so most of the actors are deaf and they are like hilarious. And you see their everyday interactions. And it's a much more empowering representation of disability. And we're seeing more authentic representations happening in our, our media, yeah. especially as, as disability advocates are demanding yeah. that kind of representation. Why will this, why will Disability Empowerment Week be good for you as a student here at Rollins? So Disability Empowerment Week has um, started out as a, um, a way to say, how can we build more community on campus and more inclusion for people with disabilities? Um, because it started out with this idea that I'm experiencing these barriers both physically and socially on campus. And so, for instance, um, a lot of buildings are, are hard to access or um, there's, there's a lot of barriers physically yeah. um, just because of the structural um, components. But um, socially as well, just between my peers, I've experienced a lot of challenges when I'm around other peers, especially when I was a freshman because you're new. And um, just in these different spaces, um, people would be uh, hesitant to speak to me or they they mm-hmm. seemed, I kind of felt like when the pandemic happened, the, so, the term social distancing, I felt like that was happening to me in my freshman year because they saw the wheelchair. They're like, oh, I better stay away. Or um, if 
another instance is like if I were to want to get involved in something, um, I'd say, oh, I'd love to come to this. Like I would email and then I would ask about if there would be access and they say, oh, I don't know if that's going to work out. Mm. And it kind of just made it sound like to me, it felt like maybe I shouldn't come then. And and so it kind of started out that way. And especially right. since I didn't grow up with a disability when I was really young, that this was a totally new identity for me. And since I was homeschooled, I, I didn't, I didn't have to face this sort of thing in a school environment. And so in college, then I was trying to figure out what does this look like? And so for Disability Empowerment Week, um, we are kind of just advocating for um, this idea of disability pride is saying that it's okay that you have a disability and we're not trying to change who you are. It's okay that you have a disability and, um, you're still really awesome as a person, right. even if you have one. Right. And um, and this idea of like expectations of people that um, you know, it's it, your expectations. Um, people would be so impressed by the things that I do, but it's like I'm a person too, you know. And right. so um, this week, when we're doing Disability Empowerment Week, uh, we're not really looking for students to really like help out people with disabilities. We're trying to say, hey. We're your peers. Um, we we value you, and you should value us. Right. And we want to be in these spaces as much as you do. Yeah. And so we're kind of just sharing that, and and through these different events. And so share a little bit about an event or two. Maybe each of you can pick one from the week uh, mm-hmm. that's going on that you, that either has been impactful thus far that you're looking forward to in the next day or two. Maybe uh, Sarah, you go. Yeah. So last night was actually a really fun event. We partnered with a social enterprise called Lighthouse Central Florida, which is actually the CEO is a Rollins alum, Kyle Johnson. And it was an event called Dining in the Dark. And so essentially, Lighthouse Central Florida supports folks who are blind or who are visually impaired. So for the Dining in the Dark event, you have a dinner party, but everyone is blindfolded. And so you have to navigate picking up your fork, finding what's on your plate, figuring out how to pass the water. And so we had a really fun time trying to figure that out. (laughs) And then learning a little bit about what resources are available for folks in the community or not. So Kyle from Lighthouse Central Florida was talking about the fact that still, even when you are diagnosed with some condition where you're you're going to lose sight, doctors still aren't referring you to resources like Central uh, Lighthouse Central mm. Florida. And so you are becoming low vision or blind, but you may not know anyone or know how to find strategies for living well while being blind. Right. It's another thing that we talked about for the event was that putting on a blindfold is not the same as being blind. Right. First of all, you can take off the blindfold. Right. But second of all, blind folks don't look as ridiculous as we did when we were trying to eat the meal because they've developed all sorts of strategies and they're really adept at navigating their environment because this is their everyday life. Right. But at the same time, it was really cool to just um, have this kind of sensory experience and try to get a different perspective. So that was happening Great event. last night, yeah. Yeah, Dining in the Dark. And of course, as... Um uh, the host of Rollins around town. I love that even more that uh, that we're able to connect with a community organization and a Rollins alum and 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 have, help our students learn. So 
Fantastic. A great one. How about, how about you, Elizabeth? So on Monday, we had a, a disability story circle and uh, there was um, like, it was like, reminded me of like a small classroom that we have at Rollins. And we, we created like a circle in the room and it just became a really great dialogue between students. There were some professors there too, sharing about their personal experiences at Rollins and some things that, that they're hoping to advocate for on campus. And so it was really great to, to be involved in such an engaging conversation. And, um, and like one student that was there was saying, you know, I didn't know about all these, all these challenges that, that people are facing on campus and, and I want to be part of that change as well. And so that was a really great way to start off the week. And um, yesterday as well, we had the disability pride flag raising at Tars Plaza, which is, is such a central part of our campus. And um, it was just so great to to have that flag here and to have um, Beth Ann Derlin from the Accessibilities Services come. And she briefly um, just kind of um, talked with everybody. And I also got a chance to share a poem that I published in Brushing Art and Literature awesome. um, last, I think it was last year that I published it. And so I was able to, to share that poem with everyone. And I was just so um, grateful for the amount of people that came out for that event and to see so many faces and, and see people listening when I was talking about that poem. Fantastic. So, yeah. where, where can people go? Can they go online right now to find out uh, anything else about this week? Yeah, so we have a, a sign-up sheet for some events that are still happening this week. So it there's a, a bit.ly link, so bit.ly backslash D-E-W 2022. Okay. Um, so there are two things still coming up this week, or today, actually. One of the things that's really cool about Rollins is collaborations. Indeed. So we're working with Dr. Robin Gershman, who is a professor of dance and also part of the Rollins Dance Association. So today at 4 o'clock uh, in the Lakeside mm-hmm. studio, we are designing an inclusive dance experience. And so actually some current students, Carly Richards, who's a first-year student here, and Lauren Wallier, who is actually coming back. She's on medical leave right now, but she's like, I want to be back for this. <laughs> They're actually experienced dancers who know how to use some techniques to create um, improvisational choreography that includes all sorts of bodies um, and, and brains. So that's happening today. It's so really exciting. And then we're screening the documentary Crip Camp. It's an award-winning Netflix documentary. Actually, it was funded by the Obamas. Um, and it's screening tomorrow in the SunTrust Auditorium at 6 p.m. Well, I think it's, it's now called the Truest Auditorium. Right. It just got rebranded. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's a really excellent account of the history of the disability rights movement in the United States and how things like the Americans with Disabilities Act, the ADA, came to be from a grassroots movement of folks with disabilities. And so if you haven't watched it, it's wonderful. But Judy Human is widely known as the mother of the disability rights movement. And she's actually filmed a little message for us that we'll get to screen as well. So I'm really excited about that. Thanks to a student we have here, Elizabeth Bonker, who is a nonverbal autistic activist. Um, So she's really cool as well. Yeah. What a what a special week and uh, uh, so um, 
fantastic that, that we have a student and, and, and faculty and I know other staff and students who help make this happen. And I'm looking forward to being a regular and an annual thing on our, on our campus. Um, Elizabeth, what's next for you? So class of 22, I know master's in public health. What's sort of, what's the goal and dream for you? Well, right now I'm hoping that this summer I'm planning to do my graduate practicum and um, it's still in the works, but I'm pretty sure that I- I'm getting it solidified right now that I'm going to be doing it with the Lifeboat Project, which is um, not far from here. It's in Apopka, and um, they work on combating human trafficking. And so um, a lot of my work that I've been doing at Rollins, um, which relates to disability, is um, trauma, which is something that I mentioned that happened to me um, in high school. I actually had multiple um, times I experienced trauma. And so um, I have been looking at how I can incorporate that into my, my future for public health. And actually right now for my, my music, because I'm a double major um, in music and communication, uh, for music I am doing my senior project um, on music therapy in relation to people that have experienced trauma. And so right now I'm, I'm writing that, that paper. And so um, I'm looking forward to see where that goes um, and in public health. And I just am really open to all the different doors that public health has. Yeah. And um, I may look into the Peace Corps when things are, are more able to be traveling around and things like that. Yeah. But um, because I also did a, um, an internship virtually during the pandemic with the KEM Hospital Research Center in Pune, India. And so I did that internship, which related to women and children and trauma and things like that. Outstanding. Yeah. Wow. Sarah, I don't want to know if anything other than you staying at Rollins and teaching forever and ever and ever is in your future. But uh, anything else you want to share? Any other research or projects sort of on the horizon for you? Oh, there's always a new project I'm happening. Sure. Uh, and so, you know, a summer is coming up and it's a new time to start a potential summer faculty collaborative scholarship. Excellent. So I'm currently looking into a project with another nonprofit called Michele Puppets. I've worked with them before during the pandemic, uh, thinking about how can you use puppets to have difficult conversations with children? Right. And another thing that we've been thinking about is also how can you use puppets to create community and facilitate communication among people who are neurodiverse? Hmm. Um, So especially folks who are on the autism spectrum for whom communicating can be challenging both um, because of social cues, but also because of uh, challenges with language. And so a student and I are going, are hoping, we're planning, to shadow a six-week puppet explorations program where students, many of whom are neurodiverse, are getting to develop their own puppet characters, their own storylines, and create a show. And so we'll look at how this process of learning puppetry can become a really important communication tool for this population. Excellent. Well, we'll bookmark a show for you and Michelle Puppets uh, next year for sure. Um, I asked this to all of our Rollins guests. I'm, I'm not going to um, uh, spare you two. Um, you're president of Rollins for one day, and I want to know what you're going to do, President Smith. <laughs> I'm not really sure. Um, <laughs> Because I'm someone that I'm like, I would want to know, first of all, what are my options? Anything, everything. <laughs> oh, yeah, I mean, you, whatever Wave you want to do. Wand, That's yeah. right. Unlimited resources at <laughs> <Yeah>. your disposal. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, I mean, I have lots of different project ideas that I would like to do to make things more accessible on campus. And so um, if I could fix all of the buildings and make sure that they that they are more accessible for people, um, if I could get um, these uh, like a training program for professors to learn more about disabilities and um, and make sure that there's like some kind of training program for students as well that um, that they could do. And um, yeah, just kind of getting some of these ideas that I've thought about like into motion. But like I said, a lot of things that I have been thinking about, we have been able to get to get going. So that's great. So yeah, <laughs> good. I like it. Mm-hmm. I like it. Mm-hmm. And how about you, Profe- uh, President Parslow? President Parslow. Oh my goodness, this <laughs> right? is lots of pressure. It I mean, is. Elizabeth really covered the serious stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and if we could ma- wave our magic wand and change infrastructure, that would be much. It's it's difficult to make infrastructure right. accessible. Yeah. But of course, I have to say that I would give all my colleagues a raise there because, man, our Rollins <laughs> faculty is fantastic and they've been working their tails off yes, during the pandemic. For sure. For sure. Um, you two are amazing uh, peers and colleagues. And uh, Rollins is so lucky to have students like you, Elizabeth, and faculty like you, Sarah. So thank you. Thanks for taking the time to be with us today. Thanks for leading uh, Disability Empowerment Week and uh, creating that legacy here for uh, for Rollins. And and hopefully maybe even we talk about taking that into the community of Winter Park and, and Central Florida next. So um, uh, stay tuned, right? Mm-hmm. Um, thank you especially to Angel, our awesome Rollins student, uh, who's our marketing coordinator and board operator. Uh, to keep updated on all of our shows and guests, follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Rollins Around Town. And subscribe to our podcast, Rollins Around Town, on Apple, Google, and Spotify. So with that, we thank our guests and we wish you a great day. Thanks.